Thank you for that very warm welcome. And I want you to know for me, it's just truly an honor to be here. I've been anticipating this weekend, this time, because I knew I would have the opportunity to be not only with you, but I would have an opportunity to spend time with Trent and Andrea, something I was very much desiring to do. And then to spend time with you on Sunday morning and just thank you as a local church for the unique investment that you make in the Great Commission Collective. So one of the thrills that I have as, as president now is to just travel around to different churches and help them make the connection between what we're doing and their prayers, what we're doing and their giving, what we're doing and the people that they send like Mark and Karen to Hungary, Karen to Hungary. So I just want you to know that um, an important part of being with you is, is simply to be able to express from the bottom of my heart on behalf of all of the churches in the Great Commission Collective, and on behalf of the staff, the deep thanks we feel for this church in particular. Trent is a board member of the Great Commission Collective. That's something he does with the support of this church, with the support of the staff. All that's to say, thank you. Thank you for the way that you are serving what we are doing together in this family of churches. Philippians chapter four, please. <clears throat> that was fun. Philippians four, title of this morning's message is The Quest for Contentment. And I would like to read beginning in verse 11, the following three verses through verse 13, and then we'll, we'll pray and get started. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Let's pray together. Lord, that last verse just has a grip on, on my heart and I pray that you would bring that alive and help us to leave here freshly aware that because of you and what you have accomplished, we can do all things through you and the strength that you provide for us as a result of your death and resurrection. Well, we, pr we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to begin this morning with a question. I want you to be thinking about this question. The question is, how do you respond when you face some incomplete goal or unfulfilled dream in your life. Maybe you had a, a vision for the path of your life, the direction it was gonna go in, and, but in reality, you feel like you haven't even started on that path. Or maybe you feel like you're on that path, but the journey's going so much slower than you expected. Or maybe it just seems like you can't even find the path. You've been looking to the path for years and you can't even find the trailhead to, to get on the path. 
I had to face that in one small area of my life I, I, with respect to, to writing. Now, what, you know, whenever you're speaking, you bring up writing. It's like, oh, you think you're a writer? No, I don't think I'm a writer. I hate writing. I want to say that up front. I hate writing. I, I, I blog a little bit. I've written some books. I, I, I don't like to do that. And I don't consider myself an author. And I know that because I've met people that are authors. And they're like, oh, I just love to get alone and let you know, my inner author come out and play in the field of words. And I'm like, man, my inner author never comes out. It, my inner author just wants to stay in the closet and do, do nothing. But writing came to represent something for me. Because for years, it was something I aspired to, but it didn't come in the way I expected. It certainly didn't come in the timetable I predicted. In fact, for a long stretch, it didn't come at all. And it was one of those things in my life, and you have these as well. We, we have this vision, we have this dream that we feel like God has implanted, but it lives just out of our reach. We just can never seem to grab a hold of it. It's like this intersection in our life where our dreams and our desires just collide, like two speeding trains on the same track right toward one another. Do you have any areas like that? Some incomplete goal, some unfulfilled dream that just kind of hovers over you like a dark cloud. In fact, it settles on your soul in the form of a single statement. It's a statement that stalks you and haunts you and taunts you because it whispers this paralyzing idea of by now, I should have been, and you fill in the blank, by now, I should have been married. By now, I should have been financially stable. By now, I should have been healthy. I should have had a better job, a better kids, better life. I mean, we fill in the blank in any number of ways. But what we don't often know is that is the voice of an unsatisfied ambition. In fact, I think we can extend that to say it is also the voice of discontent. See, discontentment happens when our ambitions are frustrated. We aspire to something, we desire for something from God, but God does not deliver it. So we stew in self-pity and wonder why God is so sloppy in the way he runs our life. Because we don't have what we desire. Now, you know, let's just be clear, to, to desire health, to desire leadership or stability or, or good things is not wrong. It can actually be a sign of very good and healthy and godly ambition. But the real issue is how we live and how we feel and how we relate to God when we don't get what we want when we want it. Because when desires become demands, we become discontent because we have not what we desire. Now, there's several things I want to talk to you about this morning, but I want to telegraph right up front where we're heading. In fact, I want to give you what I believe is a key to contentment, and it's summed up in the words of one of my favorite Puritan authors, a guy named Thomas Watson, who once said, quote, if you have not what you desire, you have more than you deserve. 
If you have not what you desire, you have more than you deserve. So that's our destination. That's where we're going to end up in verse 13. But for the moment, let's just move that to the side, leave it hanging, suspended up in the air, and let's return to Paul and the context and a bit of line-by-line exposition of this text. So again, Philippians chapter 4, here, once again, we meet Paul. And remember, Paul, Paul's, the context of his writing is not from like a uh, customized writing desk on a cushioned high back chair. Paul is in prison. Paul is confined. Some commentators suggest that Paul is chained to, to guards on both sides of him. And he has to write to the Philippians because he has some concerns about these dear, dearly loved people that he has, he has lived and loved with. And, and, and he knows that the Philippians are a good church, but they are experiencing problems. They have conflicts. They have some disunity. Paul wants to help them. If you've ever been in a situation where someone you love is experiencing problems, but you're blocked from being able to help them, you're blocked from being able to go to them, that's where Paul is right now as he picks up the pen to write to the Philippians. And, and, and he wants to get something across to them. So he, he begins to write the letter to the Philippians and in chapter four he addresses specifically their financial support. He thanks God for it, but then he says he doesn't need it because Paul learned to live having not what he desired. In fact, let's just listen to how he talks about it in verse 11. He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need. Now again, he's talking first about financial need, but it's clearly beyond that because he says, for I have learned in whatever. So he's talking about whatever situation. Again, verse 11, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Now, let's just stop there for a second. I mean, let's think about who's talking here again. Paul is in prison, but he's not in need. Paul is restrained, but not in need. Paul is confined. In other words, he's in a season of his life, and some of you can relate to this. He's in a season of his life where he's not able to do the things he aspires to do. He's not able to go to the places where he wants to go. In fact, he's very confined to just a small place and he has all these dreams and desires, but he's locked down, he's chained down, but he says he's not in need. Why why is that? Well, he gives the answer. He says because he has unlocked a secret, the rare jewel of Christian contentment as Jeremiah Burroughs would call it. This is, how, this is how Paul describes it. He says, in whatever situation I am, I've learned to be content. And just to leave us not speculating on what that would mean, he, he begins to define it. He colors in between the lines. He says, I can abound and I can be brought low. I can face plenty and hunger, abundance and need without being plagued by that, that unruly question of by now, I should have been somewhere else or someone else than who God has made me. In other words, Paul was able to be satisfied and at peace with God's will 
in all situations. In fact, Paul was able to be satisfied and at peace with God's will in all situations without abandoning his dreams because God didn't deliver what he thought God should in the timetable he thought God should. I want you to think about this. You know, one of the ways that we try to, we try to like punish God, as crazy as that sounds, but we try to punish God for the poor decisions we think he makes for our life, is, is we will just give up our dreams for him. You know, the average believer is not basically really, when they come into a season where they're suffering, where they're unexplained, mysteries going on in their life, there's things that they never predicted, their, their path is not going in the direction, they're not going to respond by saying, okay, I'm tapping out completely. You know, I was into this Christianity thing, but I'm not anymore, I'm just taking, I'm, I'm completely walking away. No, what they're gonna say is, oh, I get it, Lord, I get it. You basically control all things and you don't feel obligated whatsoever to even bring me into anything. And you can't even help me to understand whether this is your path or not your path, this is your way or not your way. So here's how I'm gonna respond. I'm taking my ball and stepping off the field. I'm walking over to the sideline. In fact, I'm going up into the stands. I'm going to get back at you by withdrawing my aspirations, by withdrawing my zeal. I'm going silent for God. And yet now we have this man who's sitting in prison and he's speaking to us, who certainly was not expecting all of the suffering that he lived with, and yet somehow for Paul, this sense of significance was not situational. In fact, his sense of significance was not attached to his status at all. His peace didn't rest outside anything but his relationship with Jesus Christ. And I, I read about this and I think, I, I want this. I, I, I'm not there, but I want to be there. I remember reading this quote one time by, I think it was from Marsden's biography on Jonathan Edwards where he said about Jonathan Edwards, he said, quote, his happiness was outside of the reach of his enemies. And I remember reading, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I, I can't say that about myself. I, th there are so many things that affect my happiness. There are so many things outside of myself, outside of my relationship with God that affect my happiness. Can you relate to that at all? Is your happiness outside of the reach of, say, your boss? Is your happiness outside of the reach of your family, of your teenagers and how they behaved last night? This is just another way to get at that question of have we learned the secret of contentment? Because Paul, Paul continues on. He says it is something he learned and he continues on and says in verse 12, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Now, so it, it's, what I love about this section is that it's almost like Paul specifies the field of experience that exists for contentment. And, and he starts by using these words like abounding and plenty and abundance and, you know, he's talking about the good times. 
He's talking about those times where your dreams are, are, are coming alive and, and you get the raise. Or you're pregnant, you've been waiting so long and you're, you're pregnant finally. Or engaged, or the prayers were answered in that area. Or you got the promotion that you've been praying over, or you were selected for the role that you never thought you'd get. In other words, these seasons, these moments where our dreams are coming alive and life is getting good, our ambitions and aspirations are fat and happy. To, to modify the to modify the, the Thomas Watson quote, we have what we desire. But don't miss this. Paul says, yeah, I know how to do that. I know how to abound. I know how to do plenty. I mean, I read this and I think, hey, do you think like, I think you know, there's just this instinct to think, yeah, I mean, uh, don't we all, Lord, Lord, d- doth thou doubt that thy servant Dave does not know how to, Lord, smite me with Alexis and I will show thee, I will show thee that I can do plenty. Just pour it out on me, Lord. Just pour it out on me and I'll, I'll show you. And there's a sense where the dreams that we have for our life, when we talk about dreams, we're always talking in the categories of abounding and abundance. You know, it's, it's rare to dream low. <laughs> Who bothers? Who aspires to be poor? You know, we're, we're, we're never saying, Johnny wants to be homeless. Go, Johnny, go. You know, that, that's not the way we parent. That's not the way we think about small kids and their dreams because to dream is to aspire to a better future. But here's the thing. We begin to work in the world of a crucified Savior and we begin to discover that our happiness can't be linked to a satisfied dream. Our happiness can't be linked to a specific vision of the future that emerges from our ambition and our ambition alone. Because always abounding is typically, (laughs) it's typically the script we write for ourselves. Always in abundance, always abounding, and that just is not reality. In fact, some of, the, some of the most important lessons in life, some of the deepest works of God can come as a result of depriving us of the satisfaction of a dream that is within our heart and bringing us into times of abundance and need and allowing us to experience the temptations there as well. There's a quote, by Charles Spurgeon, where he once said, the Christian more often disgraces his profession in prosperity than when he's being abased. So there, there's this set of temptations that come in prosperity that we're, we're not trained for. We don't even cultivate a, a sense for how to navigate these things because we always interpret it as just a blessing. And so we don't recognize that it's at times a Trojan horse that covers in, that that, that comes along with a thousand other things. And see, here's the point. Paul discerned these temptations. And so he treated plenty and hunger just the same. He treated plenty and hunger. He treated abundance and need as places where he could potentially seek his satisfaction outside of Jesus Christ. 
And so Paul says, abundance, abounding, yeah, I've, I've learned how to do that. And then in the same passage, he describes this whole other set of experiences. Being brought low is one of the phrases. Facing hunger, facing needs. He's talking about the hard times here. The by now I should have been times of life. Maybe he's describing your past week. You know, you were passed over for something at work. Or maybe you're just like, you just, there's, it feels like there's another year passing, you're in the same role, you're in the same place, you're frustrated, you never imagined your life would be here and you'd be doing this and it doesn't ever seem to be changing. Maybe it's the business that's tanking, maybe it's a, a friend has unexpectedly disappointed you or you've, you've failed, or somebody has failed you. In other words, one of those seasons, one of those times in life, and we all have them, where our dreams are, are on a respirator and they're gasping for air. And our ambitions, our aspirations are starving because we have not what we desire. Paul says, yeah, I've, I've, I've learned how to do that too. I've learned to be brought low. Part of what that means is that Paul could be content with having life go sideways in a direction that he never expected and not hold God hostage to a dream that he had for the way his life was going to go. That there could be unsatisfied dreams that there could even be failure, unexpected failure. It just seems like with God, when it came to Paul, the lessons of contentment were so important that God would ordain that Paul would be brought low. Paul would have a thorn in his flesh. Paul would have these, these weaknesses, these things that dogged him for the rest of his life. Maybe you have them too. You know, the, the unexpected illness that looks like it's gonna be hanging around for a long time. Maybe it's an, an unsatisfying role. You know, you know that you're supposed to love being a mom, cherish being a husband, but it's hard. And you feel guilty and ashamed. And you don't know what to do with that. And we have these, these weaknesses Maybe it's, it's just things that are required from you just through life, simple things that, that, you, that you're just never able to bring it because it's an area, like a, an area dis, disconnect. I, I, I've got one of these. I, yeah, this is an entire category of my life, just when it comes to working at home, home repairs, home. So, so, so one day, sitting in the family room, I'm, I'm sitting in a chair reading. Kim is over on the couch. She's reading. We're sitting there reading. About 10 minutes later, Kim looks up and says, one of the kids using the basement shower? And I said, I don't think so. She said, oh, okay. I said, oh, okay. I kind of went back to reading. And a few minutes later, I, 
I was listening. I thought, you know what? There, there's something going on down there. And then I began to realize, okay, wait, you know, we don't have a basement shower. And so, but there's some, there is some water that's going on. And so I jump up and I run downstairs and I look around the corner. And I mean, it was a sight to behold because there was a hole in the wall and behind the wall was a pipe. There was a hole in the pipe. The pipe was shooting water across the basement and it was splashing off of, off of the opposite wall. Honestly, the first thing I thought was, this was pretty awesome. The problem was, it was my house. <laughs> and I never had the what to do when the pipe's breaking, you need to shut the water down real quickly class in high school. So I didn't know what to do. So I did the only thing that came to mind to do, which is just to run around the basement, shutting off lights and turning knobs and just anything that I could get my hands on to turn it, shut it off, shut it down. And, 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 and then I was just left with, you know, screaming up to Kim, the pipe is broken, the pipe is broken. It was not one of my best moments. The pipe is broken, the pipe is broken. <laughs> so I've got this neighbor, Ralph. Yeah, Ralph, you have the neighbors like this, right? Ralph's one of these guys, he knows how to do everything, you know. Hey, what'd you do this weekend, Ralph? Well, I had a, I had a couple spare hours, so I, I, I put on this whole addition to the house, you know. <laughs> Next week, I've got this idea for a helipad on the top. You know, <laughs> I hate Ralph. <laughs> I know that's wrong to say. I, I, Ralph's a great guy. So Kim knows, though, because Ralph has been critical at different points in my life when I get into these situations where I'm just about to make an insurance claim that Ralph needs to get involved. So, so Kim calls him, Ralph, it's Dave. It's the basement this time. You better get over here. Ralph comes through. So I'm standing in three inches of water in the basement. Ralph walks into the basement. He locks eyes with me. He walks across the basement, never breaking eye contact with me. He opens up a closet door. He reaches in, he turns a handle, looking at me the whole time. The water shuts off, he turns around, not, not breaking eye contact, and then walks out the bottom of the basement. Now, I've got dozens of those kinds of stories. And honestly, those are, those, those are comical, but those are low moments. And we all have them. And, and that one isn't so bad. But, but, but they get a lot worse, don't they? Let me ask you this, where is the, where is the pipe gushing in your house right now? Is it the marriage? Parenting maybe? Have you had a recent evaluation at work and it's just not looking good? It seems like they're kind of setting you up to move you out. Or an unresolved conflict that just seems to be dogging you. In other words, there's something going on right now that is laying you low. Here's what I want you to hear about that situation. Here's what I want you to hear about the thing that's on the screen in your mind right now. Paul said, I've learned to do that. That doesn't shake me. That doesn't throw me into crisis. It doesn't cause me to have to reconsider my whole identity before God. I've learned how to do that. I've learned to be brought low.
you do when your dreams and your life just don't seem to intersect? You know, when life seems to force you down rather than lift you up. I think part of what, what happens through this passage of scripture is that, is that we begin to see the denial of our desires differently. We begin to see them not ultimately as a penalty from God or as a punishment from God, but as a loving God who is reaching out to rescue us, as a loving God who is reaching out to define the path of our walk. The problem is we just can't conceive of a God who might deny a desire because he's got a deeper work he wants to do. You know, if, if, if your life is anything like mine, the Christian life is like walking down a hallway and you got this hallway and on both sides are these doors and you, have a, you know that God has called you to walk in this direction, so you're walking down this path, down this hallway, and you come to a door and you feel at times led to go through the door, that there, God is for you and with you behind that door. And you feel this distinct leading to get into that room because you have prayed and you have fasted and you have sought counsel and all arrows seem to be leading into this room. And so you go to try the door thinking it's just gonna fly open and the door will not budge. And so you try it even a little harder, you begin to beat on it, but the door will not yield. And the thing is, it's this, it's this head game, it's this total conundrum, because inside of you, everything believes that you're supposed to be on the other side of that door, and yet the thing is standing there, and it will not yield. You will bruise and bloody your hands beating on that door, but it will not yield. And eventually, we just collapse at the foot of the door, unable to reconcile why God might inspire a desire that he does not satisfy. Unable to, to understand that there are places in our heart that can only be transformed through the denial of a dream. And God loves us so much that he will take us to those places where he will have, yes, the audacity to inspire a dream that will not be satisfied. And there is no peace in our life until we then become convinced that our place right now is his choice. Our place right now, his choice. So how do you do? Maybe it's right now for you. How do you do when your dreams and your life don't intersect. Listen, can I just make an appeal to you this morning? This, this appeal is so important. Don't buy the world's vision of success. Don't buy a vision of success that says there's no place for trial, there's no place for failure, there's no place for unsatisfied desires, no place for unsatisfied ambition, there's no place for he must increase but you must decrease. Goodness gracious, people live their life craving worldly success, never believing that God will ordain, ordain their hunger to save their soul. God will ordain certain needs to save them because he's more committed to our rescue than he is our earthly success. The way we define success 
It's how this guy found peace in prison because he recognized ultimately that success cannot be defined by ascent. This constant sense that I'm just moving on from glory to glory. It's always getting better. It's always becoming more improved. We're never having any problems. That's not what, that wasn't Paul's life. It's why the entire line of thought converges in verse 13. In fact, I'd suggest to you this is the secret of contentment unveiled. And this is how Paul says it. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So Paul completes the lesson. Paul wants us to understand the secret and source of his contentment. This is it, you ready? It's him who strengthens me. And of course, him who strengthens is Jesus Christ. So contentment, of course, is learned by becoming experts at examining and enjoying what it means to be in Jesus Christ, which returns us to what I was saying earlier. I should say what Thomas Watson was saying earlier with the quote, if we have not what we desire, we have more than we deserve. Now listen, at the heart of your discontent, and my discontent is this conviction. You strip it all away, it's this conviction. I don't have what I deserve. I don't care, I don't care what you say. In this area, I'm not getting what I deserve. And here's what the gospel does. The gospel breaks into that situation and answers with this cheery news. You're absolutely right. You're not getting what you deserve. And you can thank God for that. Because the gospel turns our complaint on its head and it reminds us that regardless of our state, be it humble or exalted, plenty or hunger, abundance, whatever, we live infinitely above what we really deserve. We live infinitely above what we really deserve. And see, most people think that their discontent can be satisfied, discontent can be solved if they just kind of visit some impoverished area and meditate on how much better their life is than that life, as if, as if the key to contentment is just to compare ourselves with those in less favorable situations and that'll flip a switch in our mind. You know, that can be helpful, but that's not the point. We don't ultimately find contentment by comparing ourselves to other people who are worse off than us. We find contentment by comparing ourselves to, by, and by comparing what we have to what our sins deserved. Comparing what we have to what our sins deserved. And this is where the gospel is so transformational because it's the gospel that reminds us each and every day of what our sins deserve, that we were spiritually wretched, that we were lost and miserable and broken human beings and what's more, we clung prideful to that place and powerless, utterly powerless to alter the circumstances and then incomprehensibly committed to our own destruction and we were dedicated to that direction, but God, who is rich in mercy, came to us in the person of Jesus Christ wrenched us free from our irrational commitment to our own destruction, and by dying in our place, he gave us reason to live and hope also 
that we would live again. And my friends, that's the secret of contentment. Because when we have it, it frees us to be at rest in the present and yet to dream about the future. Paul sat in prison, he was content, yet this is a dude who had great ambition for the future. And so we too must live at peace in the present while we still burn for more and ask for more and press for more and strive for more and pray for more and live for more and yes, if necessary, die for more. So, if you're here today and you have not what you desire, take heart. Take comfort, don't take a break because once again, Watson, if you have not what you desire, you have more than you deserve. Let's pray. Lord, we ask you now to bring the gospel to bear and the relevance of this passage to bear on our hearts as we move out beyond these walls and back into the lives that you have entrusted to us. Help us to see today him who strengthens us.